Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Yogurt is one of the most popular kitchen staples amongst families, and for good reason too. Its packaging makes it so convenient and the creamy texture makes it kid-friendly and it's such a great way to get nutrition into your child's diet and a smart ingredient to add natural sweet flavors to. With Yo Valley's super thick kerned yogurt, some of the natural sugars are strained out, allowing you to create healthier recipes without, of course, sacrificing the flavor or the texture. Kids' tummies and taste buds will definitely thank you, I promise you that. Lovingly made in Somerset, Yo Valley's super thick kerned natural yogurt is high in protein, low in sugar, and it's available in 5% and 0% fat. To find out more, head to yovalley.co.uk and find it in your local supermarket. Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in to Food for Thought, a podcast on a mission to equip you all with the evidence-based advice you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, best-selling author of Renourish, a simple way to eat well, and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each episode, I'm so lucky to be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authoritative voices in health, so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with the trusted expert advice. Curbing the world's huge and increasing appetite for meat is essential to avoid devastating climate change, according to the United Nations. After all, agriculture, especially meat and dairy, accounts for 70% of global freshwater consumption, 38% of total land use and 19% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions. As plant-based eating becomes more prominent, an increasing number of authoritative voices in nutrition and health are challenging conventional beliefs and the idea that one needs to eat animal products to be strong and healthy. This week's Food for Thought sees registered dietitian Tanya Hafner and I unearth the real truth behind meat and whether it's time for us all to stop eating it. Hello, Tanya. Hello, nice to be with you. Oh, no, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on and to discuss such a ever-evolving conversation, I suppose, because, I mean, meat is debated heavily at the moment. It seems to be in the media all the time that it's good, that it's not good. And if we're nutritionally looking at it, red meat is such a good source of protein, iron, and so many other micronutrients, isn't it? So what exactly is within it that people are saying causes harm? Okay, so those are some of the great benefits that can be had from eating some meat in the diet. The problem is, is that we're eating too much and that's having dramatic impacts, not only on our health and our lives and the economy through ill health, but also on our planet too. But I really think before we focus on meat, um, we need to just put this into context of food itself, because food is the single strongest lever to actually optimise our health 
and the environmental sustainability on Earth. But the food that we are eating is currently threatening both, both ourselves and our planets. And the unhealthy diets now pose a greater risk to our ill health and deaths, much greater than unsafe sex, alcohol, mm. drug and tobacco combined. So it's wow. huge. It's a huge issue. And we need radical transformation. Wow. And when you put it like that, I'm sure that's going to be a bit of a, a shocking stat for most, most of our listeners. Because if we do go back in time, let, let's go back in history and millions of years ago, when if we are going back to obviously the subject of meat, because that's the, the episode in general, but of course, our overall diet, humans ate very differently to what they do now, didn't they? I mean, even the role of meat back then is different to how it is now. Yes, I mean, we've evolved as omnivores, um, meaning that we are a species of always actually eaten um, both plants and animal origins. And we've got that data right back to glacial periods. So humans hunted and killed animals for meat since, since that time. And it gave us tremendous advantages because it's nutritionally dense. It's got a lot of nutrients uh, in a small punch. Um, and it, we use less energy really to digest it than plant foods, for example. So it's got great advantages. But domestication of animals came in and that was pretty good because even looking back, you know, um, before the 20th century, we had great diversity in our diet and many, many plants. And it's really only in the last 25, 50 years that meat has become a bone of contention really both politically culturally and otherwise and to really answer your earlier question red and processed meats have the single biggest impact on the environment um, of any type of food and they are the biggest contributor to greenhouse gas emissions deforestation biodiversity loss and soil pollution as well as land and water use so they're very um, resource intensive but we over time I suppose have particularly recently as society has got richer and where meat is kind of you know traditionally we've had it whenever we celebrate something mm. it's 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 across um cultures across the world that we we would have meat but as we get richer we have more of it and the highest meat eating uh, countries would be australia europe uh canada uh, for example and but in the last 50 years we've had intensive farming we've had intensive sort of desire for that and we're actually over consuming what we need yes um if we touch on the fact that society has changed and we're almost so lucky I mean, we are incredibly lucky if anybody listening is in a position in the UK where we can choose the food we put on the table weekly we have a surplus of so many different varieties of food whereas of course back back then or many many years ago it just wouldn't have really worked like that as well and you, you mentioned obviously red and processed meat contributing more towards ill health in general do you feel that that's a message that is is cutting through do you feel people are taking that seriously it's interesting when you look at the data I think over the last 50 years you see us in certainly in developed countries you you know who are consuming most of the meat um you see a stagnation of the meat intake and you see a slight reduction happening, but it's not very significant. But we also know that the younger generation are, you know, turning greater interest towards the environment, greater interest in animal welfare. We see a rise in veganism um, coming. So there are estimates that 
half the population will be following more of a flexitarian diet by 2025. So it's kind of like watch this space. I'm very positive about the movement that's happening, but that's not to say, um, you know, that we become vegan or vegetarian because the message that's really coming out is we need to eat less meat. You don't have to cut it out of your diet. And I think that's really good news for, for many people. I couldn't agree more. One thing that we like to always reiterate on the Food for Thought podcast is that we place no judgment, no um, no bias. We just want everybody to enjoy their food and just have an informed choice, I think, rather than stating that they should or shouldn't be doing something. It's just just knowing that every food is there for you to enjoy. It's just how much and how often and understand more about where it's coming from and the impact it has on your body. Because I think for a lot of people out there, if if we look at supermarkets and fast food chains, a lot of them can offer meat at incredibly low prices. And that does make it, of course, affordable. But do you think that's having an impact on the population eating perhaps more more of a certain item than they need? It's interesting. I, I think the whole structure around retail and food production has let's make it as cheap as possible. Let's pile it high and let's sell it on volume. That's not going to work anymore. And we have to get away from that. And even the guys that are pulling together the new national food strategy for the UK, um, which is led by Henry Dimbleby, who's head of Leon Restaurants and set up the school food plan. You know, they recently met to discuss the food strategy, which is not yet out. And one of the key messages that came out of that was we cannot it's not about, you know, reducing the cost of food. We can't do that anymore because that actually causes a lot of the problems. So in that case, we then have to go to abroad. We have to get the food transported. Um, it's not good for the environment. And then it drives up the production of more processed foods, which become more high fat, salt and sugar. Nice. So it's about valuing food more. And I think really getting back in touch with food and enjoying food and getting back to that, you know, and really understanding that. Um as much as it is also then about wastage as well, because 70% of the food that's wasted in the UK comes from the household and 60% of it, you know, can be avoided. So I think it's, it's the value in the food and the enjoyment of that that we've lost that we somehow need to recover, I believe. Mm. No, I, I, can, I completely agree. I, I almost feel like going through... Um, having COVID-19 hit the UK and going into lockdown... Yeah. We have seen more people using their cupboard items, which it's been really fascinating. I know for us health professionals to witness a resurgence of people cooking from scratch and really appreciating the value of having those spare tins in their cupboard because suddenly there was nothing on the shop shelves, which was unprecedented. If you think about um, the last, um, well, hundred, I guess we've always had food really on the shop shelves in my lifetime anyway. So that perhaps does reiterate the fact that we can do it. We just yeah. need other incentives maybe because people don't really know. Again, it comes down to education. There's so many factors. My mind is going crazy with the fact that there's obviously the environment we live in, the messaging around food, the yeah. manufacturers, the supermarket chains. But how much would you advise people to eat anyway a week of, um, let's say, meat? How much would you recommend a week? Well, the it's it's interesting how this has all sort of really come about in the last couple of years, I believe, is because of the Eat Lancet report, um, which was when 37 of the world's top mm. global scientists came together from 16 countries to decide 
what's the definitive answer on what constitutes a healthy and a sustainable diet? And they produce the blueprint for the healthy reference guide for what we should all be doing. Now, the Eat Lancet recommendations did focus in on meat, uh, but they are global recommendations. And if you look at that report, it says 14 grams of meat on average a day. That's half an ounce. Um, but you must remember that that is global recommendations. And some countries around the world will need to increase their meat consumption because they're malnourished. It's proper and right for their communities to do so, whereas billions of others will need to reduce their, their meat consumption. And certainly in the UK, that's that's what we need to do. If we localise that advice, the advice from government here and other health organisations is that we should be eating around 50, 500 grams of meat, um, no more than 500 uh, grams of cooked wheat, sorry, cooked meat <laughs> in, um, in a week. And that really translates into 70 grams of meat um, a day. And 70 grams would be a very small portion of meat, like a small portion of chicken, for example. So interesting, because I I just don't think people know that. And I don't think the, the message has got past, obviously, people in the industry are aware of the Lancet report, but I don't feel that this messaging has filtrated through to everybody in the UK. You raise such a valid point that we're always trying to say on this podcast, and that is that for some people in their cultures, in their environment, it is all they can do. That is what they have. It's such a good source of nutrition for them. And that is so important, which is why we can't just generalize and say everybody should go vegan, because in some societies around the world, of course, that isn't possible. And, oh, I could go off on a tangent again. I I suppose if one is to stop eating meat, how would, I guess a lot of questions I get is, oh, would my body react differently if I've eaten meat my whole life and then suddenly I want to reduce it or cut it out? I'm always after that. Yeah, I mean, I think the, 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 the other question around that or related to that is really, when you're cutting down on your meat or you're stopping it, what are you replacing it with? Because if you then replace that with um, white carbohydrates, you, you know, not brown carbohydrates, you're not including fruit and vegetables, you could actually be even more unhealthy. So it's it. the message is actually about as much as what you can eat as to what you can't eat. So you can still eat meat if you enjoy it, have it. You can be vegan and vegetarian if you want to. That will have added benefits. But at the moment, in terms of our planetary health and our, and our indeed our human health, we can have some meat in the diet. So let's get back to the way that we ate it when we were hunter-gatherers. You know, cherish it, have it on those special occasions. Have it as a garnish, enjoy it. Enjoy it once a week in its full kind of glory. Um, but really hero the wonderful plants that we have in our diets, which are so delicious and so tasty around the world. And let's really learn from, you know, other cultures. I was taken to a Peruvian restaurant very luckily um, before lockdown and the joy in mm. the beautiful, wonderful plant ingredients. You know, I think we just traditionally don't know perhaps how to cook them as well as we could or to source them. And one staggering factor is um, of 70% of the food that we eat, this is crazy, 70% of the food that we eat comes from 12 plants and five mm-hmm. species. Yet we have 14,000 plant species to you know, avail of. So yeah. I think it really is tapping into that rich variety. They're kinder to the planet. They're tasty. 
um, and it's learning to, and I can, we can see that happening with the rise of, you know, vegan and vegetarian restaurants, which, you know, I was a, a vegetarian when I was uh, 15 in Southern Ireland, where it was meat and two veg, mm-hmm. it was desperately hard, um, but it's so much easier today. Yeah, it's almost, I think, um, so we, we had um, Ella, um, Deliciously Ella on the podcast before, and she is obviously an advocate of making vegetables cool. You know, I think we've yeah. got a, a big um, misconception that in this country, maybe because of how perhaps our grandparents cooked for us growing up, but we didn't have the cultural influx of food that we have now, which is amazing. I mean, Peruvian food, by the way, is one of my favourites. Um, one of the favourite restaurants in London, Trotomate, is based on Peruvian style um, ingredients. And it's, it's just divine, but I digress. Um, but with... <laughs> with the vegetables that we were using it would be like you said meat and two veg or boiled I remember having boiled carrots at my nan's growing up um boiled dinners and it just wasn't as flavorsome as you quite rightly say the options we have today are it's no wonder that it's not incentivizing for people to want to try more and experiment more because all they've ever known or a lot of us growing up was the average perhaps school dinner peas and your sliced carrots and a bit of sweet corn on the side of your plate. It, it's yeah. There's a, there's a kind of systemic issue here of, of where on earth do we start? Because mm. there's I think also... I think you touched upon earlier. You know, you've said within COVID times we have mm. got more in touch with our food and we have then been forced to think about it, whether it's financial reasons or availability or whatever and you've seen people do more scratch cooking maybe having to manage things more from a budgetary level forces it that that much more but it's certainly within within our reach and if I think about our grandparents great-grandparents time going through the war Mm. they ate really well they ate a balanced diet and they they knew the price of food and valued it um so I think the the joy that's kind of you know there's there's been good and bad things coming out of COVID but one of the the joyful things is actually beginning to see that happen you know um Oh, getting I, I more in touch 100% and as nutrition professionals of course we should definitely touch on the nutritional benefits of, of having meat in the diet so people know then what to replace in their diet if they're they're choosing to have less of it yeah I think um it's really the whole grains you know peas uh, beans nuts lentils um more of the kind of brown rice uh, all the grains and it's it's about diversifying and it's not necessarily i think getting hung up on how much um you know you're having of this and that i think you know michael poland puts it very well it's like eat food and enjoy you know, plenty, plenty of plants. Um, and I think that's what it is. It's just question, have I diversified? Have I mixed up my kind of dietary intake? Because at the end of the day, we don't just eat individual foods or nutrients. It's about what are we having over that that kind of week? And are we mixing it up? Are we being diverse? Are we having different things all the time? And the chances are 99% of the time, if you're doing that, then you're getting all of the nutrients, you know, that you need. If you're following those general guidelines, you know, of the, the general advice around 500 grams of meat a week and then plenty of of the grains and the vegetables um, being at the center of your plate. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people don't realize meat isn't just protein. Let's just, just to reiterate to our listeners as well, it does contain other vitamins and minerals and, and things that 
really we all do need in our diet, but you can get it elsewhere. And that's what's really important to um, to mention. And of course, I think saturated fat, let's touch on the dis- the difference, if you could, Tani, for us between plant-based um, fats and um, animal fats, because there's a lot of confusion around that area as well. People often lump fat together in one group, don't they? Yeah, I mean, look, um, meat is is a source, a rich source of fat. Um, it, it can be varied depending on the on, on the type of meat. And saturated fat is, if we have too much of that in the diet, we need a certain amount. But if we have too much of that, we can um, it can cause high cholesterol levels, which can contribute to heart disease. So we do need to watch that, and so that's part of the factors that have been taken into account when when making these recommendations. Um, But of course, then from plant sources, you get the polyunsaturated, the monounsaturated, more of what's regarded as the good fats. But I don't like call it as you don't like calling Mm. good and bad. But we do need more of the the plants, the plant kind of fat sources that you get through vegetable oils, you know, olive oils and mixing it up, I think is incredibly important. You know, I have a jar of olive oil, a jar of rapeseed oil, other oils, and it's just, I think, mixing it up um, and using them joyfully, you know, on salads to give them that flavour along with, you know, spices to actually get everybody in the family really interested um, in it. Um so I think that's the main difference, really, with, with if you have too much um, saturated fat, it contributes to, to, to heart disease. And if we've got too much meat in the diet at the levels that we're having at the moment, you know, it does also contribute to other areas um, of ill health, um, such as diabetes, obesity uh, and cancer as well. And red meat and processed meat is very strongly related to um, bowel cancer in particular. Mm which of course this is this is serious we're not just having this discussion um because we felt like it today it's generally because I think it can help and benefit a lot of people and it takes all it takes sometimes is one person in your household or one friend that you know to have a small influence on someone else that you've passed a message on to I'm such a believer that we can spread positive nutrition and and we're not trying to scaremonger and say meat is bad. Like we say, it's not good or bad. It, it's about quantity and quality of the diet and getting that diverse range of different veg. The challenge for all of our listeners, I can't remember if I've said this one before, but should be try and have a new vegetable this week. The podcast is always out on a Monday, so you've got a whole week to have something you would not normally have at your dinner table. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> to get in a trap isn't it Tanya of having the same thing um every single day on the shopping list but oh oh, to ask sorry to ask you as well a lot of listeners have also wanted to know about free range and organic when it comes to meat is it actually better for us yeah it's a really interesting question so I think you know certainly that has huge benefits for animal welfare um and but in terms of I think organic and and nutrition it's not always um the case there's actually very little evidence um for you having you know more nutrition benefits but overall for the environment and animal welfare um yes it can do organic and environment it can be good for the environment but it may not be because of course the environmental impact is just so huge you've got to think about 
you know, the biodiversity, water loss, you know, um, as well as as well as everything else. So it's very complex. I think one thing to watch out for is whether a food company is B Corp certified. It's very new. It's not on pack, but it really tells if, if a company is B Corp certified, they've actually looked at the whole journey of that food mm. from source right through to when it lands in our hand. And they consider biodiversity, they consider water loss, they consider greenhouse gas emissions, everything. So I think that's going to be tremendously useful in the future. I think, you know, some people are going to be labelling, you know, how what the carbon footprint is on the food. And that's mm-hmm. interesting and it's a step forward and I commend it, but it doesn't tell us everything about how that food is produced um no and where would our listeners go to if you said it's not going it's not on the packs yet where can they go to find out i think they have to go onto the company website really to find out whether they're b corp certified it's very new very Mm. something to really watch out for but i suppose um back to your original question just finding out where is your food sourced from if it's organic then you know it's going to have um you know the pesticides are not going to be added it's going to be better for the environment um if it's free range you know the animals are going to be better cared for so that would certainly be my choice but just in terms of nutrition don't always expect it to be better no um it's not always the case i mean there's some evidence around grass-fed cows that they may have more of the omega-3 and 3 fatty acids um but it's it's marginally better um, it's not it's not hugely significant and the evidence is very scant at the moment. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. That's just it. There's no one size fits all, and a lot of the time it can be so confusing for everybody because the the media will pick up on a researcher or somebody with a title like a doctor saying everybody should eat um, saturated fat from cheese because it's going to help everybody's heart health. But nutrition is just, it's just not that simple. It really is doing what works for you. And like you said, doing your own research as well. So like you said, find out where it comes from. I I think we all have a responsibility now in today's society because every single person can have an impact. We can't just rely on the manufacturers. We can't just rely on the government. We can't just rely on ourselves everybody this is in my ideal dream world by the way Tom. Yeah. <laughs> everybody, everybody would know <laughs> we'd all know what to look for um 
this is education again, I guess. I, I guess in terms of everybody, we are seeing a change, aren't we, in the UK regarding the population's diet, um, both Generation Y and Z. I, I think everyone's just wanting to be healthier, aren't they, and help the environment? Yeah, I mean, of course, we live in a little bit of a bubble in the UK because we have, you know, unfortunately, 820 million people going hungry every day in our world. So we've got such a dilemma going on between, you know, people who are, you know, overfeeding themselves and people who are still going hungry. So globally, we have to think how this applies locally. Um, But I think what's really hopeful for me is that, you know, there is this upturn interest in health you know I mean I was reading the other day that vegans and vegetarians are you know set to to make up a quarter of the British population um by 20 2025 um there's the rising veganuary there is the generation y and z are interested in animal welfare etc so I think that is so hopeful. And I think with the rise in technology and the way that we can spread messages and, and, and campaigns, I think it's um, incredibly hopeful. Oh, it's, it's completely. It's quite inspiring, actually. It's really, really interesting to see how how perceptions of the world is, is changing, I suppose. And the popularity of, um, like you said, veganuary, you know, vegan and plant-based diets. We are also seeing more and more marketing for meat brands and industry boards, aren't we? Do you think that's a response to a change in direction from the population? Yeah, I mean, I think that's naturally going to happen. You know, meat still has a place in the diet and they have to respond and there has been better farming methods in certain areas you know there's better use of water um there's better use of you know the land use and the feed etc but at the end of the day um there's still an awful long way to go really with that yeah and again you as you said before so many people are going hungry and there's so there's just it's it's a bit of a minefield public health nutrition is by far 10 times more complicated than I ever thought it would be when I studied this at university, Tanya. It's, there's so many factors to take into account um, from every single level because even our traffic light use of nutritional information and the way it's displayed on packets, that seems to be more confusing than simple for people as well to understand, isn't it? Yes, I think... We're not going to see behaviour change just from somebody going into store and just reading a pack. We know that from from the data, but it's one tool that can help um, many. And I think it is a step forward generally with transparency, really, within our food. It's not perfect by any means. Um, But I generally speaking, I mean, the calculations behind it are quite complicated and, and how that relates to um advertising etc is another story but I think generally speaking it is helpful that when you go in you can see something if you've got red on the pack then that's something to be a bit more careful about you know it's not that you don't have to have it but you do need to be quite careful about how often you have that food if it's amber don't go mad but enjoy it and if it's green don't worry about it have plenty in your diet so if we have that simple message it's a tool that, yeah. that can help us 90% of the time. 
I agree. It's always good to have a toolbox, everybody. It's always good. <laughs> um, everyone needs it in all, in all areas of our lives. And we do have lots of questions from listeners on this subject, Tanya. It's actually really hard to narrow it down to, a, to just a few. Um, and I think everybody has a very different take on this. So the first one, which I think is quite useful for everyone listening, so I'm sure there's lots of people out there that would want to know, what is the best plant-based alternative to bacon? That's from Dan to bacon wow is there an alternative <laughs> um i think there there is there are, there's some veggie alternatives to to that i remember trying it when i first went veggie uh in my teen years i'm not veggie anymore by the way i do have meat occasionally largely um i'm, I'm plant-based um but i think i i don't know i think it's all personal preference um there are some alternatives if you like them have them enjoy your food that's the most important thing if we enjoy mm. our food we understand where it comes from we use it to enrich our lives with our families with what we enjoy and we're following the general principles you know we can really have huge impact on our lives our health and the planet oh completely a funny um a funny story I had a friend who bought um and this is actually it's probably quite useful for people actually a pack of what they thought was crispy duck um and it arrived and it was a vegetarian crispy duck alternative and they were like oh no like this is going to be awful but then they said actually re like I really liked it so I could actually do this swap so there's so many options if there's one to crispy duck I'm sure there is one out there to bacon down as well and like we said it's enjoyment and Charlotte has asked is one meat free day a week enough to make a significant difference to climate change I think that campaign has been brilliant. I think it's really helped an awful lot of people, you know, Meat Free Mondays. Yeah. Um, I think it's a great message, um, particularly for people who will eat a lot of meat. You know, it gives you that opportunity to really explore and enjoy and it's not so challenging. It's it's one it's one day a week. Um, with the recommendations, if we go back to that, it's no more than 500 grams of meat, uh, red meat and processed meat a week and actually try and avoid processed meats really. Uh, processed meats being you know sausages anything that is not um fresh but is cured or treated in some kind of way so 500 grams so that comes out as 70 grams a day if you want it every day so Mm -hmm. one portion a day small piece of chicken again so is one day enough it really depends on where you're coming from originally and how much meat you you did have originally i would say that's why it's always very difficult to ask answer the questions like that because Mike has also said I'm trying to stay in shape and I'm unsure about getting enough protein. If I cut meat, do do I replace it with the same amount of protein that would have been in the meat? So we're getting a mm. bit into calculations and we're getting very specific now. Yeah, I mean I don't think you actually have to calculate unless you're a super uber elite athlete, you know, mm. going for the Olympics. I really don't think even uh, the best gym goers do not have to do that. You know, we can see some case examples of that with you know um, great celebrities actually going vegan. So meat is a fantastic source of protein. It's got all of the essential amino acids in there. But if you take meat out of the diet, you can absolutely get all of those essential amino acids from plant sources. And we used to be told in university, oh, my goodness, if you you know, take meat out of the diet, then people have to combine different you know, plant protein sources at a meal to make sure they're getting enough. That's not the case now with the data that we know. If you're mixing up your diet, like we talked about earlier, being very diverse, having lots of different beans, proteins, pulses, using, you know, products like microproteins like corn, etc., 
right across your diet, if you're diversifying it, you will absolutely get all of the amino acids that you need, even if you're a regular, um, say, gym goer, you know. Uh, yeah, so that's true. Reassured. Yeah, definitely. That's a great answer. And the last question is from Tina. And Tina has said, um, I guess you've kind of answered this earlier, but you can delve in a bit more. What's the absolute unhealthiest of meats that I should avoid? Well, see, Rhiannon, I'm like you. I don't like to call anything unhealthy because it, it's not about individual foods and we must move away from this, you know, and it's not about individual nutrients. It's not about individual foods. It's like, what are we having over that day? What are we having over that week? And if you're, if you like that particular piece of meat that has, happens to be high in fat, you know, and it's fried and it's a steak, have it, enjoy it. Next day, maybe have no meat, you know, keep within within the guidelines. So, yeah, my answer is, you know, just make sure you keep it varied, mix it up and, and, and enjoy, enjoy what you like within moderation, really. Couldn't have said that better myself. Um, that does lead us on to the fact or fiction round, Tanya. Are you ready? <laughs> as ready as I've ever been. <laughs> I love the hesitance. I think I'm ready there. <laughs> um, okay, if you could answer kindly fact or fiction to the following question. Okay, here we go. Meat eaters live longer. Uh, fiction. Protein from meat makes you stronger than plant-based sources. Uh, fiction. Eating meat can cause cancer. Uh, true. Fact. Yep. Vegans typically <laughs> have low body fat. Uh, it is true, actually. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's good just to reiterate on that one. I know I'm, interrupt, I'm interrupting the round this time, but you've got to remember you can, generally speaking, this may be yes, but you can be an unhealthy vegan too. If we're looking at that, that word or that phrase, there are vegan chips, guys. There are vegan ice creams, just as much as the plant-based um, standard ice you're absolutely right and you know um we're really not saying that you have to be become vegan i mean the data just is there globally that if you're vegan you tend to be leaner um but i think a watch out which we didn't talk about earlier is that some of the new sort of plant-based products and it's not all of them you know there's no kind of governance and legislation around them mm. have come out and have been unhealthy now it's improving but, you know, going vegan isn't necessarily what you have to do. And a vegan product isn't necessarily healthier either. You have to, you know, really examine it. Exactly. Thank you. Um, if you don't eat meat, you won't get enough protein. Uh, fiction. <laughs> That's, yep. The biggest source of salt in our diet is from meat. Um, fiction. Meat produced in pastries have the highest levels of fat. could be true uh you've got a double whammy there from it is it is a very high fatty food then you've got the fat from the pastry you've got the fat from from the meat um so it, pastry. It may well be yeah <laughs> but again yeah. enjoy it i know and then the think about what you're doing the next day <laughs> exactly exactly um the meat industry emits more greenhouse gases than all forms of transportation in the world combined correct Fact. You'd save more water by not eating a pound of meat than you would if you didn't shower for six months. 
Um, it could be true. I'd have to look at the data. <laughs> You've got I can't me on that one. Where, I can't remember where we pulled that one from now. I need to go back. <laughs> it um, could well be true. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was actually. That's why it was so shocking. Um, meat is one of the most nutritious foods available. It's true. Yes, it's 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 very high in nutrients. We've talked about that. It's high in protein, many vitamins and minerals. That's why we relied on that when we were hunter hunter gatherers to get the calories in when we could. But of course, just remembering it doesn't contain the fiber, it doesn't contain the carbs. You know, and we need all of you know combined amount of plant foods and the right amount of meat in our diary to have the best kind of optimal nutritional intake really thank you tanya that was a great fact or fiction round all done (laughs) (laughs) no brilliant that does wrap up the episode though and we are going to finish today with our food for thoughts so i will start by pretty much saying that the evidence as we've quite rightly said today does suggest that for our health as well as the sake of the planet we could all benefit from adopting a more plant-based lifestyle and as we said it doesn't mean you have to cut it out if you enjoy meat but reducing it will have an impact and perhaps it would result um, automatically or I'd hope in you increasing the veg and fruit as well and the whole grains that are in your meals but my role as a nutritionist isn't to you know tell you all you have to do this, like I said at the start, it's just to make informed decisions and choices. And I hope that this episode has shown you that meat has an impact in so many areas than just our bellies and our body. It it impacts the environment as well and and the water. It impacts your um, likelihood of developing bowel cancer if you're eating red meat, those sorts of things. It's, It's really important that we are aware of food consumption because I think a lot of people feel under a lot of pressure to eat in a certain way and ultimately our diet should be about what we can add in not what we can take out so Tanya if you could leave us with a take-home nugget of information one food for thought what would that be okay so I I love your takeout and there's another person that I I really also love uh, when it comes to food and it's Michael Pollan and he says eat food not too much and mostly plants. And I think that really says an awful lot about what we should be doing. But I would add to that and say, enjoy your food. You know, I think that that's the really big thing that we need to bring back is get in touch with your food, know where it's coming from, enjoy it more, enjoy the diversity and share with your friends. Oh, Tanya, that's lo- that is a beautiful quote, actually, isn't it? The um, yeah, eat mainly plants. It's lovely. Um, Tanya, thank you. There's so much more we could discuss. It's very, very difficult not to go down a rabbit hole with many areas of this conversation. So, thank you so, so much for coming on Food for Thought. Pleasure. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, you're going to absolutely love what's coming next week. So make sure you click subscribe to be the first to hear it. And please do, if you have the time, leave a five-star review. It does help this podcast get out there. We want to be able to reach more people, help more people, and maybe even perhaps reach higher highs in the charts. For more information about my Retrition Clinic books, healthy recipes, events, retreats, and so much more, please visit retrition.com. And you can always follow me at Retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Hold up. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 